On today's episode, we are gonna give you a wealth roadmap. So just how to think about starting to build your wealth from the very basics right up to some really complex stuff. So we do start with the basics, how to minimize the amount of tax you pay, how to think about tax in a more deeper level so that you can make sure that doing extra work does pay. And if you're hovering around many of the tax traps that we talk about all the time on Medics Money, that bit's going to be invaluable for you. Then we get into a bit more detail. We talk about investing and pensions versus a, an ISA. When would you use a pension? When would you use an ISA? Then we also talk a bit about whether cash really is trash and whether investing is still the right thing to do in a high interest rate environment. So I hope that there's something in this just helps all of you on your wealth building journey. And what I've learned on my wealth building journey is there's no magic bullet that's going to make you wealthy overnight. It's not going to be playing the lottery. It's not going to be investing in a load of crypto. But if you can make sustained good financial habits over time, minimizing the mistakes that you make and making your money work as hard as possible for you, then you can achieve wealth. And if this is useful to you, please tell your friends about it so that we can all improve our financial health and wealth together. Thanks so much. The Medics Money podcast helps doctors, dentists, and other professionals make better financial decisions. Hosted by myself, Dr. Tommy Perkins, a GP. And by me, Dr. Ed Cantelow, a GP, but also a chartered accountant and chartered tax advisor. This podcast is for general information only and does not constitute any form of advice and tax allowances and rates are subject to change. Pleased to welcome back to the podcast, Daniel Foy from Mazars Specialist Medical Financial Planners. Hi, Daniel. Hi, Tommy. So most of the audience will know you, but for those that don't, do you want to give us a quick intro on why you are qualified to talk about today's topic, which is going to be like a wealth roadmap, like how to get started with building your wealth and how to, you know, what to do, common pitfalls, bit of everything. To be honest, we don't really have a script, so we're just going to be going freestyle, which is actually my favorite kind of podcast. But tell us about yourself and then let's get into this completely unscripted episode. Yeah, thanks, Tommy. So my name is Daniel Foy. I'm a Chartered Financial Planner at Mazars Financial Planning. As you said, I've been advising clients now for approximately 10 years. And, and effectively, my job has developed over the years. I tried my very best not to get involved in the NHS and said I don't want anything to do with that NHS pension scheme. And that was about five years ago. And I've never looked back since because someone told me you are. And here we are five years later. My client bank now is pretty much primarily NHS pensions related. And actually, I really enjoy taking out a lot of what is a very complex concept and making it actually it's a pretty simple thing. It's just a pension. And I quite enjoy the fact that we've now got a pretty good handle on, on doing that. So let's see where today takes us, but hopefully it'll be useful. Yeah, I think that's a really important point, though, because if you were looking for the easy life as a financial planner, you would not choose to specialize in the NHS pension because it is really complex and very few people understand it in its entirety. So it's great to have an expert on it today. I'm sure we're going to touch on the pension today, but today isn't really about the pension because you are going to tell us sort of a bit about how to think about improving your wealth, boosting your net worth. So where do you want to start with 
you know, the basics of what, if I came to you and said, you know, Daniel, I've been working hard in the NHS and I want to start, you know, really building wealth for the future. What are you going to say to me? Yeah, so I, I guess just the concept behind this whole session and, and idea really is we've had hundreds of meetings with, with NHS professionals over the years. And, and we typically work through an agenda of questions to try and make sure that we cover everything. And today's a probably a lot more focused on the things that we never actually have to advise people on. So it, it always kind of gets glossed over a little bit, but there's always questions and there's always tips that we give as we work through these questions and little takeaways for people. And and actually a lot of those things are very useful for, for people who are on those calls. So really it's just trying to find those lesser known tips really, or what we have seen lately is very common questions that, that we can kind of just fire back up. But today, I think it's useful to start really just on looking at people's income naturally in the NHS. That's always a useful start, starting point. Yeah, definitely. Because if you're going to build your net worth, it's going to be like income minus expenses. There's going to be, you know, your net worth. So let's talk a bit about income and the basics of that. Yeah, so naturally within the NHS, there are a couple of different kind of concepts and solutions, whether you are salary GP, GP partner, hospital doctors, consultants, specialist doctors, whatever it may be. A lot of the NHS is on very prescribed pay levels, I would say. You know, we love a pay scale as the NHS consultants do, or we love a, a session rate in the NHS, which means that in a lot of circumstances, it's very easy. And I say that from our point of view, what I'll usually ask for is a pay slip. It's pretty easy then to dictate what someone's income looks like for the year and exactly where we're going to come to at the end of a tax year, for example. And, and the key things that we always go through with people is looking at tax codes. Is your tax code correct? It sounds like a very simple question. And I know that there's been podcasts and done by yourselves on this, but simply looking at is your tax code correct? Are you getting taxed the right amount or are you going to be finding a very nasty surprise somewhere along the tax year as HMRC realised things have gone wrong? If in doubt, ask the question. If in doubt, check and make sure that we get it right, I would say. The other thing to note really is alongside that is, is the actual tax rates that you're being deducted. Within the UK, we typically have, or within England, we typically have 0, 20, 40 and 45% tax rates. Many of your members, I have no doubt, will be familiar with the personal allowance trap and the, the 60 or 62% tax threshold for earning above 100 to 100 and round about 126,000. So understanding those tax rates, where you're falling what you're earning over the course of the year again is very worthwhile and also it helps you to kind of balance that work life which i know naturally in the nhs is almost impossible to do if not impossible but understanding exactly kind of the value of your time for a lot of people it's not something that as i say we give financial advice on but actually when we kind of point out where someone's tax rate sits and if you do an extra session this is what you would take home from that or an extra half a session, whatever it may be. It's usually pretty powerful to understand the value of your time and say, well, actually, is it worth me going out and doing that bit, little bit more, that little bit extra? Or is it something that realistically I would actually have that extra day back or that extra half a day back in my own time and spend it doing whatever else I want? 
Yeah, and I think that's really important that you said is like learning to value your own time. And part of learning to value your own time is to understand how much tax you'll pay. And often we find people don't exactly understand that there are these tax traps. So we bang on about it all the time. Uh, you mentioned the classic one around 100,000. But it, it's just about saying, okay, if I go to work for the day doing difficult, dangerous work, in addition to the already ridiculously long hours that I've done in the week, how much will I actually get in my pocket at the end of the day? And the unfortunate thing is that as you earn more, the tax rates become more and more punitive. So it's definitely worth, as you say, understanding your tax position in detail. So that's really good. What other tips have you got for us about that? The one thing that I would, we always ask people and people, some people have better answers than others, I would say. But you know, when we actually look at budgeting for tax returns, most members will have to do a tax return. And if you are a, a consultant in the NHS, it's probably a lot more simple. But if you are on the GP side with GP partners or, or salary GP and carrying out locum work or doing kind of extra private work or bank work, what you might well find is that you, when you do your tax return, you have unpaid tax for those additional pieces of work that you've done. First and foremost, understanding and expecting that is a huge, a huge must for people. Naturally, do you want to get to January, do your tax return and your your accountant tell you you suddenly you're five, ten thousand pound in tax. It's not a nice position to be in and you don't want those kind of nasty surprises. So understanding where you sit and, and understanding for a lot of people what we will see, and I use the, the locum shift as a classic example. People who are doing a locum shift will typically say to them, when you receive your your daily rate, are you putting aside a certain amount of it into a separate account for your tax? People say, well sometimes yes or sometimes it just goes into the bank account. What we typically say to people is, you know that it's going to be need to be paid in January. Tax returns can be done earlier, but let's face it, everyone does them in January. So we will usually say to people, why don't you, when you receive that payment, put 40% of it into a savings account that you know you can cash in January next year and pay your tax bill with. And then it's just one less concern for you. You know 60% of it that's in your bank, you can spend, you can enjoy, you can do what you want to do with it and you're not having to worry about that, that tax return that might be sat around the corner and you have no idea of what you're, what might be coming. Yeah, and I guess like, I don't want to preempt what you're going to say in this completely unscripted episode, but eventually you're going to lead us to a point where, you know, investing your money to make it grow and improve your wealth is going to be part of this plan, I'm thinking, but if your finances are all over the place, like you don't know how much tax you're going to pay and one minute you've got 10 grand ready to go to invest and then you need that 10 grand back, that is not going to be conducive to building wealth over a long time. There's no magic bullets to building wealth over a long time, but it's about really just getting nice and consistent, understanding your cash flow, which is what you're talking about there, and investing regularly into a, a, a sort of a suitable investment for you, shall we say, without giving any advice. But if your tax situation is just so chaotic and your cash flow is all over the place, then it's not going to help. Because, I mean, I guess if this was a client, you would look at some cash flow modeling. Are we going to talk a bit about that? Because I've personally found that super useful. So should we talk a bit about it or not? Yeah, absolutely. So effectively, what we do with cash flow modeling is we look at kind of, in a very simplistic sense, we look at income, we look at expenditure, we look at assets and we look at liabilities. 
and they're the four key pillars of any kind of financial plan, really. What's going in, what's going out, what you're starting with, and what do you want. And from there, naturally, at any point in time, it's very easy to look at someone's net worth statement and go, what's in the bank? Assets minus liabilities, that's what you're worth. But naturally, next year, that's going to look different because you'll have something come in and go out. And what we try and do with cash flow planning is understand what's coming in and what's going out at various different intervals. And so it might sound very basic in terms of, well, I could do that. I've got four a month coming in and three a month going out. Okay, that's great. That's If your members can pinpoint those things, that is a huge piece of financial planning done. And one thing that I have written down is, do you know your number? Do you know what goes out of your bank account each month? And do you know where it's going on? That doesn't include things like savings because they are all aimed at building wealth. What it's looking at is actually what leaves your bank account and depletes your wealth. You know, what direct debits do we have set up? Mortgage, rent, council tax, gas, electric, all these other things. And no doubt, one thing that will be in there will be things like some rogue direct debits that we set up and or annual memberships that we have forgotten to cancel. We all probably have one of those that slips through the net once a year. And it's something that we always just kind of suggest to people, just have a regular check of the direct debits that are set up on your bank account, the subscriptions that you've got through your Apple account, even if you have an iPhone. Uh, They're all random subscriptions. And every now and again, you seem to get caught with something that you thought you'd cancelled that you never had. Yeah, definitely. And like subscriptions mount up, you know, it might just be like 20 quid here, 20 quid there. But if you mount that up over the year, and then you work out the opportunity cost, which is basically saying, imagine I didn't spend £20 on the gym that I never go to, and I instead put that in my investment account. It's not just the £20 a month. It's like the opportunity cost, which is basically what you could have done with that money had you not, I'm not going to say wasted it on the gym, but wasted it on something that you don't need, shall we say. So I think like opportunity cost is another major thing that people need to understand. It's like, yeah, if you're not going to, if you're not going to use that money for this, you could have used it for something better. Yeah, it's exactly that. I'm not sure if you were looking at my own uh, direct debits when you mentioned the gym that I never go to there, Tommy, but definitely we've all, like you say, come across those things. And, and you think of the effective £30 a month for the next five years being saved into a, a high interest cash account even or, or an investment account, whatever it may be, £30 a month, £360 a year over five years. You've got yourself straight away up to kind of 15, 1600 pounds. Add on a bit of interest, you've probably got close to 2000 pounds. That over five years is, is, is equivalent to what you are probably paying on that gym membership that you're not going to. But of course, we do encourage a healthy lifestyle. <laughs> yeah, I, I've been working out at home. So that's my yeah. Uh, excuse. So yeah, all right. So that's like cash flow modeling. It sounds really fancy. And if, if you've got loads of different complex income sources, it is pretty fancy. But at the basic level, it could be as simple as understanding what tax you got to pay, having a look at your bank statement, like you said, and getting the value out of that, what you're spending. You know, you've worked really hard to earn that money. So make sure you spend it on things that you like and that you use and, and not on things that you don't like. So... Yeah. That's really good. What else could we we look at to help bump up our wealth? Yeah, I think the other thing that will develop from those thoughts and those discussions is what's coming up as well. Because naturally, when we look at kind of expenditure, 
as we say, we might have a very set kind of monthly income, but none of us live with the perfect monthly income. I, who spends, I could say this, but who spends the same in December as they do in February? You know, chances are a lot of people will spend a lot more in December as we come up to Christmas or as we get to the summer months, there might be family holidays. So there's, there's kind of these one-off expenses. It might be that there's a big birthday coming up. There's a big holiday that you've always wanted to do or children to, you know, uh, kind of head into university. So there's always these kind of complications with your own expenditure that don't come to you at first glance and take a little bit more thought and a little bit more planning that we, we do need to be we need to be mindful of as well. And build all of those into your plan. And that should give you a pretty good idea of what you've got coming in, what you've got going out and what that might look like for the next few years. And once you've got that, really, then you have a pretty solid base for how do you build your wealth? If you've got that income and that expenditure really kind of nailed down for the next three, five years, then we can look at, OK, well, what what income isn't being spent or what assets do I have? that are not currently working hard for me. And this is the one thing that I would reiterate a key message is make your money do the work for you. Yeah. Don't leave it sat there in a current account earning 0.1% as we used to earn, well, 0% as we used to earn. When there's other options available, if it's surplus cash, get it working. Yeah, so let's just talk about that because I think this is something like I'm getting a lot of questions about this because, you know, I've been saying cash is trash for a long time. And the reason being is that, you know, as you said, back in the day, interest rates were super low on cash. And, you know, if you put your money in the bank, it was not growing. In fact, it was shrinking in real terms due to inflation. And now I'm getting messages saying like, oh, I can get like 5.5%. I can get 6% on a, a government bond, for example, for a one year bond. So is cash still trash? I know you don't want to say that because it's clickbait nonsense. But I think the wider point here is that let's just get into why cash as a long term may not be the best option for you. And even though interest rates, you could be getting 6% on a government bond. If inflation is 8.5%, guess what? That cash is still losing money. So I'm going to say still trash, if that's okay. But let, can, we, can we just get into that? Because it's such, such a fundamental concept. Like when I was a kid, you know, you put your money in your pe in the piggy bank, and that was how you were going to get like wealthy by putting it in the piggy bank. Actually, it's not really the way, is it? No, it's not. And like you say, the world is changing very drastically in the last few months. And that kind of cash question is more and more popular nowadays than, than it ever has been. And to be honest, as I say, I've been advising for 10 years. And Cash has always been very much very attractive. I won't use the word trash for, for reasons that I'll come on to, but that's changing slightly, well, changing quite significantly now, let's be honest. What I would always say to people is, first and foremost, everyone should hold some cash. And this is why I say it's not trash. There is an element of cash which is always needed. And that should always be two things. One, any expenditure that's coming up in the next 12 months the next three years even. If it's three years, you might well look at a one-year fixed fixed bond and be comfortable tying it in. But if it's needed within the next three years, really, you don't want to take any risk with it. You want some interest and you might well decide that a 5-6% interest rate, even if inflation is running at eight, is pretty attractive in those sorts of circumstances. The second thing that people should have is a buffer. I've had different clients call it different things. One of my favourites was always if the roof blows off fund. If the roof blows off and I suddenly need 
five, ten thousand pounds to replace my roof. What I don't want to do is have everything tied up in a one year bond that's paying me very attractive interest rates, but cannot pay for my roof to be fixed. Everyone should have an element of cash held where interest is get the best interest rate you can, but access is king. There should always be an emergency buffer, an emergency fund, emergency savings, which is, again, working hard for you, but rather crucially is what you can get your hands on and pay for something at the drop of a hat. And it's similar, you know, we, as you say, you, members work hard for their money and they want to enjoy spending it. And if you are coming up to something or a, suddenly an opportunity comes up to have a holiday, a last minute deal comes up that you want to, to go on, you know, that kind of flexibility really aids that kind of work-life balance in, in a lot of ways. If, if that chance does come up, Knowing that you've got cash which is accessible and easy to use really done, and of course within your plan and your budgets, that really can be quite freeing for a lot of people just to know that yeah, I can click my fingers and go because I'm stressed and I don't I've not had a good week in work and I've got a week off and so I'm going to go and enjoy myself. So yes. there's elements of cash which will always be very important. Thereafter what you're really asking, I guess, comes down to what I need for the next three to five years or five years plus, should that be in a five or six percent interest rate, interest bearing account? And historically, and all the data will support this, and there is much data, I'm sure investment managers around the world are are publishing this as fast as they possibly over the long term you know an investment portfolio will outperform cash will it do it over a one-year account maybe not i'm not going to sit here and guarantee anyone anything but over the long term you will be better off by making good investment decisions good tax good financial planning decisions rather than just kind of going with what you know now, some people, some of your members out there, and we've got clients ourselves who are very defensive in terms of they don't like risk. They don't like risking what they've worked hard to earn. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. And for those members, cash is king. And for those members, they will decide that actually those kind of interest rates that are available now are well worth you know, the peace of mind that they bring. And for other members, they'll be at the other end of the scale and they'll say, well, I'm prepared to kind of forego that guarantee in search of something that little bit better. But it all comes down to what that money you are looking at is actually designed for. And if you are thinking, well, it's more long term money, then it's very much a case I would be expecting it to our advice would usually come down to the fact that it will outperform over the long term by using proper, well-suited, risk-based investment portfolios or investment options, rather than just going with cash. Plus, if it is that long-term money and you're going to put it in a one-year bond, in a year's time, you're going to have to do something else. And then a year after that, you're going to have to do it again. So it does lead to a lot more work for yourself. Quite often, you'll see people who end up with many different savings accounts because they set something up 
for six months and then something else came up. So they set another one up and then you kind of have a list of 20 different accounts and no one can keep track of the money anymore. And no one really knows what's the best interest that they're earning because everyone's on a different, every account's on a different interest rate. So try not to get into those kind of positions. It's all about setting up a simple plan that's going to work for you over that long term. Yeah, I love it. And I think it's a really important point that you said that in the long term, past performance is not a guide to future returns, insert disclaimer. But if you look back at hundreds of years of performance of cash versus the stock market in the long term, five years or more, historically, you know, a well-balanced investment portfolio has outperformed cash significantly. So we have to insert disclaimers, but, you know, that's all we can go on. And I think the key point there is that Cash is incredibly useful if you need it. Yeah. So I have an emergency fund and obviously it injured my hand recently. If I didn't have my emergency fund and I had everything invested in my portfolio, I would have had to like draw down for my portfolio. It was not a good time to draw down for my portfolio because stock market's been a bit flat. And let's imagine I had bought some property with that money. And I, I guess I'd have to try and sell the property, which is a highly illiquid asset. So 100% like, get an emergency fund or whatever you want to call it, a blow the roof off fund. Uh, I, I like that. Although I think your quotes for, if you're offering to redo my roof for five to 10 grand, I'm interested because I have just got a quote for doing my roof and it ain't five to 10 grand. So uh, yeah, I don't know if you want to come do my roof, that'd be cool. Shall we talk about tax efficient investing? Because I mean, it's obvious when you know how, but there is a way that you can legitimately pay zero tax on any investment gains up to certain limits, which Daniel's going to tell us about. And I still see people paying tax on their investment income. And I'm just like, oh, no, like, why? And they just didn't know about it. So it's great. Like, let's inform people about, I mean, I just think ISAs are amazing. But let's hear from the expert. Absolutely. As as we've said, you know, trying to get your money working harder for you doesn't always mean picking the headline number. It's about using the different allowances that the government have given us. And ISA is a, a fantastic vehicle. And just to kind of simplify things, a £20,000 allowance, everyone has a £20,000 allowance each year that they can put into an ISA. You don't get any tax relief for going in, so it works a little bit different to a pension. So when you put 20,000 in, it's worth 20,000, unless it's a lifetime ISA, because there's many different variants, but we're not going to go there just yet. So £20,000 goes into a cash ISA or a stocks and shares ISA. It's worth 20,000 when it's in there. What happens there is you can then choose to get some interest from it. You can invest it and, and grow it and get so you might get dividends, you might get interest from it. But whatever it grows to, it doesn't matter. It's all yours. The government, because it's called an ISA, the government effectively say over to you, you can keep whatever you can make in there. And the beauty of it is if you ever want to take some money out of it, it's completely tax free. So it gives you a lot of flexibility and it's a very good vehicle for for ultimately saving over that long term. Because, as I say, it's very tax efficient in a simplistic way. What goes in, grow, take it out, taxes, not something that you need to think about with an ISA. So it's a very good vehicle in that sense and used by a lot of people in the medical space because naturally 
your earnings will typically mean that you will fall into at some point you will potentially be in the 40 60 or 45 percent tax brackets and your nhs pensions are likely to mean that you will be towards the top end of a 20 percent if you kind of have a full career in it nhs pensions are likely to be the top end of 20 percent stick on a state pension on top of there as well you might well find yourself falling into a 40 percent tax bracket so if you ever then want any more money out of these different pots that you've built up over your life, having a big pot of tax-free money to call on however you want, whenever you want, can be a wonderful thing. So it's definitely a vehicle that we do like and we do recommend a lot of for long-term savings. Um, one thing that I did mention, it works very different to a pension, and um, I think it should we jump into there now, Tommy? Does that feel like the, the right segue to, to open the Pandora's box? It does. I want to open that box. You mentioned Lifetime ISA. We've done loads about Lifetime ISAs in the past. Check out the podcast. But let's go pension versus ISA because some people find out about the ISA and they're like, this is amazing. I'm going to stop contributing to my pension and get it all in an ISA. I've seen it done. I've seen it done. You're laughing. I'm sure you've seen it done as well. So let's go like ISA versus pension because this is absolutely critical to understand. Absolutely. So I just set out what an ISA looks like. So with a pension, what happens is when you, I'm going to talk first and foremost about defined contribution pensions, and then I'll move on to the NHS pensions. Both of them work very differently. But with a defined contribution pension, a personal pension or a SIP, what happens is if you put a thousand pounds into a pension scheme, for example, you automatically receive tax relief within the pension scheme equivalent to 20%. Now, it's 20% of the gross amount, so it might sound like you get 200 pounds, you actually get 250 pounds, so a thousand pounds becomes 1,250 pounds. And then 80% of 1,250 pounds is a, is a thousand. So it works kind of forwards to bring it backwards. So apologies for confusing every one of your listeners there. If you followed that, well done. But effectively, you automatically receive some free money as soon as your pension scheme receives that those funds. And what you then do is you go back to your tax return and you say, Dear Mr. Taxman, when I... Over this tax year, I put in £1,250 into my pension. And what will happen is they will adjust your tax accordingly. And if you were a 20% taxpayer, you've had your 20% and that's gone into your pension. If you were a 40% taxpayer or a 45% taxpayer, what will happen is you've already had 20% in your pension. So what you will get is you will get the extra 20 or the extra 25% back through your tax return as a way of a tax rebate. So effectively, if you're a 40% taxpayer, that £1,250 costs you £750. And you get £500 tax relief given, some of it through your pension, some of it through your tax return. So it's a very useful way of reducing down your tax liability. Now, As members of the NHS pension scheme, you all have a very different methodology in what you're paying into. You're paying into a a defined benefit pension scheme where effectively what you're buying is a future income or a guarantee of future income from the NHS. So when you have your earnings and you pay in your NHS pension contributions, 
whether that be whatever rate you're on, but let's say it's the 13.5%. When we look at your contribution rates, you'll have your gross income, your top line income, which is effectively your, your salary. Yeah, let's keep it simple. Your salary. You will then take off whatever your pension contributions are. So take off 13.5% of your earnings. And that gives you your adjusted net income. And that's the figure that you're taxed on. That's the crucial thing that we see for people. It's your gross salary, less your pension contributions is what your taxable earnings are. Now, there's a couple of things that we need to just point out there, Tommy, because it's kind of where the conversation will lead to here. But only 10 sessions are pensionable in the NHS. So when you are, if you're looking at your gross salary, as I've just mentioned, and you are doing 12 sessions, you will pay a pension at 13.5% on 10 of those sessions. And two of them on your payslip will be showing as additional PROG ANP, which is additional programmed activities which are non-pensionable. And you will see that that should equal 20% of your basic pay figure, which is a line above. So there's a, a bit of a kind of working backwards and forwards when you're doing that calculation. But effectively, look at what your top earnings are, take off your pension contributions, which are subject to your pensionable earnings. And from there, that should give you your adjusted net income and what you're taxable on. So it makes sense, Tommy. <laughs> it does. And we're labouring this point, though, because basically, like you said, the reason that I like ISA and the pension is that the pension is tax efficient on the way in right because as you just mentioned you get tax relief on money that you put in a pension so if i'm a 40 percent taxpayer i can put one pound in my pension and it effectively costs me 60p that is awesome if i put one pound in my isa it costs me one pound to get it in there so that they kind of like the opposite because the pension's tax efficient on the way in but on the way out you've already alluded to the bad news, which some people don't realize, which is you unfortunately may end up paying tax on your pension when it's paid out. Yeah. And in fact, more and more people are paying tax on their pension as it's paid out because the tax allowance has been frozen. And the ISA, it's not tax efficient on the way in, but on the way out, you know, I could build that ISA up over my career and get like, you know, a decent amount in there. And at the end, I just take it all out. No tax, no dramas. Yeah. So they're kind of like opposite but kind of go together. Have I put words in your mouth and made any mistakes there? Correct me, please. No, that, that's exactly correct. You know, they both have different implications. They both work for different aspects of life, really. So I guess it, it's probably really useful here to just go back to a couple of circumstances and things to think about. When we talked about that baseline level of what your financial plan looks like, for example, we, we have people come to us and say, should I stick a load of money in my pension because it's going to be tax efficient? And they may well be in their mid-30s. And we ask them, what's your plans for the next five years? And start a family and we would like to potentially, you know, buy a bigger family home. We want to kind of buy that next step. Okay, so is your plan at the minute to save everything towards a property? Yes. Okay, and if we put it in your pension, you can't access it till 57, 58 onwards. Does that then limit your short-term goals in favour of being some really short-term tax efficiency? So it really does come down to understanding what your plan looks like, which ones are going to work. On the other side of things, you have a, a great NHS pension that is going to 
look after you in the main, in retirement, in most cases. But one thing that the NHS pension does lack, I think is fair to say, is, is a lot of flexibility. So if you are a member of the 2015 pension scheme and you are the, the 2015 pension scheme has a state pension age retirement date, which at the minute is likely to be 68. If you're thinking, I can't possibly face working until I'm 68 and you want to go sooner, then in reality, you want to be thinking about how can I build different pots that can get me out sooner? The NHS pension will look after you from a point and you can choose to take it early with reductions for taking it early. So the question is, how early do you want to go? And how are we going to fund that? Because you might well get to a point where you have your working life and you earn, and then you have 68 onwards NHS pension and you earn. But there might be a point between 60 and 68, for example, where actually you're thinking, well, I'm not going to, I don't plan on working and I don't plan on starting my pension. So how am I going to fund that gap? And that might be a gap where you think, well, does a pension work better? because I can get it out and I won't have any other earnings. So actually I'll be on a fairly low level tax rate. Or do you think, well, if I'm going to take my NHS pension earlier and I'm going to be paying up towards 20 or 40%, if I'm going to be paying 40%, does an ISA work better? Or actually I'm not sure on my plans yet. So do I need to kind of hedge my bets and do a little bit of both? It might well be that a lot of, there's never really a one there's no one answer that fits all here because it very much depends on you, your family, your life and what you actually want and your working career and what you think you're going to kind of be heading towards in the future. So both really do have their benefits, but both have their limitations. And a lot of it will come down to what you've got going on around these things as to which of those tax efficiencies we feel is most appropriate for you. Yeah, definitely. And like you say, it just depends on your plans. And if you're sat there thinking, I don't know my plan. Well, if you start thinking about this when you're in your, you know, 30s or 40s, the worst case thing is that you get to 60. You're like, I am totally done. I'm burnt out. And I haven't thought about these things 20 years ago. Because if you're thinking about these things when you're young, it gives you time to build up the options. So, yeah. Hindsight's a wonderful thing. As we said at the start, as we look at building wealth and the building wealth roadmap, this doesn't have to be the final answer. But if you've got your money working hard for you between your 30s and 40s, when it comes to those key decisions in your 50s and 60s, they're likely to be a lot easier because you've made good decisions earlier. And that can really kind of accelerate and bring more options to the table later. You know, the effect of kind of just starting five years earlier, whether that be, as we said, start putting that £30 a month into some kind of savings vehicle. You think you do that for 20 years, all of a sudden it starts really mounting up and it can be it can be an extra year or two early retirement. We, we see that quite often. What someone put into an ISA or a pension, well, that's an extra couple of years worth of income, which means you don't have to work. They never did it with that intention, but we've suddenly discovered a pot of cash that we can make use of in a tax efficient way and in actually a really meaningful way to those individuals. 
Daniel, this was awesome. Just like a meander through, you know, how to build wealth, how to think about building wealth. I think that's going to be so helpful, especially when we're talking about like pension versus ISA. I think like, as I've been on my own journey of financial education, what I've realized is that there's basically no single magic bullet that's going to do this for you, except like winning the lottery or something, which I didn't even play. I'd never played the lottery because it's not reliable as a method. But what it is, is just about building up simple sometimes habits, like check your bank statements, make sure you're maximizing your tax-free allowance, make sure you're claiming all your deductions for your GMC fees. Like people might be surprised to hear us say that, but in my experience, it's about building up those simple habits, compound those habits over time, get your cash working for you. I love that. Like you, you got to get that money working for you. And at the end, you've got options. You know, if you're thinking about this and you're planning this in your 20s or 30s, you are way ahead of the curve, but stay ahead of the curve because then you've got options when you get to like 50 or 60. So that was awesome. Any closing words of wisdom? We didn't even get to talk about investing, which is a massive part of building <laughs> wealth. Maybe we should do that next time. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, as I said, it's, it's small habits, I think, that make a huge difference for people. And the sooner you start small habits, the, the bigger impact those small habits have. And I think it's, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a big sports fan, and Dave Brailsford is the Deformer Sky cycling team and, and his mantra were always the extra one percent the extra one percent add up and this is very much that that case you know take small steps and they will add up if you think of one percent a year for the next 20 30 years what kind of different that's going to make overall but keeping those habits because we can all kind of set out and put in place plans and and have in mind exactly what we're going to do and how it's going to look but our plans in six months' time will look very different to what they look like now. That's just the way of life. No, you know, we none of us have a perfect plan that is delivered to a T. The work that we do with our clients is always about what's changed in your plan and are we on track to meet your new plan. It's always about just keeping, trying to keep ahead of the curve, keep the good actions in place because nothing kind of stays the same forever, even just as simple as your income. You've had an inflationary pay rise or you've had a you've gone up a, a consultant threshold and, and all of a sudden your earnings are at a different level. How does that impact on that that adjusted net income position? Does that make you fall into a different bracket? You've suddenly been given some extra responsibility at work, which with it comes probably another half a session or an extra whatever it may be that, that they've decided to give you. That has its consequences. So you always just want to be kind of revisiting and thinking. And this isn't something that should become a way of life. It's not something that should kind of take over every minute of every day. But it is something that you should just be mindful of. Oh, we've had a change there. What does that knock on? Do I need to do anything? Am I still doing the right things? And the sooner you kind of make those relevant changes, the bigger impact it'll make. Awesome. I love it. It's so good to get your wisdom like that on the podcast in a completely unscripted format. I loved it as well because we just meandered. I was just throwing curveballs like cash is trash and you dealt with them pretty well, to be honest, because you explained that one well. Lots and lots of people finding you on the Medics Money platform. And what is your website? So it's we are Massage Financial Planning. 
But if you search Mazars Financial Planning Healthcare, there is a specialist healthcare section of our site, which will include lots of different newsletters and articles, some of which you may find very topical at the moment. But there's lots of information on there and there's also a contact us page on there where you can submit queries, which will come through direct to myself. We can speak to you directly should you have any questions. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time, Daniel. That was brilliant. Perfect. Thank you, Tommy.